some years ago, I went to visit a woman in a nursing home. I'll call her Ruth. I walked into Ruth's room and greeted her, and she smiled and said it was good of me to come. I pulled up a chair and asked her how she was doing. She began to tell me how unhappy she was, how unloved she felt, how unappreciated. You know, Pastor, no one comes to visit me. I thought, I'm visiting her. She went on. The minister from the Methodist church came by yesterday, and we had the nicest chat. But I'd have thought my own pastor would come and have called on me more. No one calls me. My daughter is a disappointment. I don't think she cares much about me. A short time later, a woman came into the room carrying a stack of freshly laundered and folded clothes and a stack of mail. And she smiled kind of a tense, apprehensive, almost hopeful smile and said, hi, mom. It took me a while, but I got that stain out of your favorite blouse. I picked up your mail. You have some cards and a magazine here. And Ruth smiled a bit, but there was no warm thank you. No, it's so good to see you, dear. She just said, that's fine. Put them on the dresser. Do you remember my Jackie, a Jackie, my friend from across the hall? She asked her daughter. Her daughter visits her every day. She is just the sweetest thing. I wish you could be more like that. I watched her daughter's shoulders just drop. I'm sorry I'm not here more often, Mom. I'm trying. Between work and juggling the activities of the kids and all the stuff I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can. Hey, when I stopped at the house yesterday, Mrs. Riley asked about you. She, she said she's missed talking to you. Did you know her husband died just a couple of months ago? She looked tired. Hmm. Ruth said, she never calls me, you know. I thought she might have. Do you need me to pick up anything? Do you need anything, Mom, before I go? I have to take Jake to the ballpark, but I promise I'll be back later this week. And then she bent down when Ruth said no, there was nothing she needed, and she gave her mom a hug and said, love you, Mom. And then she left. And Ruth said, nobody cares about me. The Methodist pastor was really nice, though. James writes, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. He writes, the tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the cycle of nature and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, he says, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but nobody can tame the tongue, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, he writes, we bless the Father and Lord, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God, and from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. 
He says, a fresh water spring does not give forth both fresh water and brackish or salty water. And a fig tree doesn't yield olives and a grapevine doesn't yield figs. And a heart full of love and mercy and the mercy of God should not give utterance to both blessings and cursings. And yet that's what the tongue does. The head can be full of the knowledge of God, can it? We know. We know what, G- what Jesus has taught us. We understand that we're to love our neighbor and love the enemy and bless those who curse us and turn the other cheek and be meek and mild and kind in all circumstances. And our hearts, our hearts can be just full of the love and grace of God that we have received. But the problem is in between the heart and the head is the tongue. And too often the tongue is somehow running on its own steam and it's full of poison. I don't know about you, but I kind of miss the old days of television. Does anybody, would you say you miss the old days of television? Yeah, maybe the days when the programs were unrealistic and showed us how life maybe should be or ought to be, uh, where people were kind and polite and respectful to one another in some idyllic family. Shows like Andy Griffith and Leave It to Beaver and even Bewitched. You know, they gave us something to aspire to, kind of a slice of life that was gentler than reality. And on our better days, maybe we tried to act toward one another the way we saw them behaving. And then came the 80s. Actually, I think it was the 70s. But certainly by the 80s, we had Roseanne Barr. And children and parents were crude to each other and verbally abusive to one another and rude. And then there was this downward slide into inexpensive to produce reality television shows, which I want you to know are not real, where people like Gordon Ramsay curse and verbally abuse contestants and people gossip and slander one another in an endless twist of backstabbing alliances. And sadly, society seems to have followed suit. Apparently, what we see on TV, we do. Because there is so much angry and unkind speech in the world. You know, we're so quick to judge and criticize one another. And who hasn't felt at some point absolutely gutted by some cutting word? If children are told they are worthless, they tend to live that out and attach themselves to people who will treat them for the rest of their lives like worthless trash. And yet we can be inspired and empowered by words of grace if we grow up being told that we're competent and valuable, then we tend to make, become people who make valuable contributions to the world. Speech is powerful. It really is. Words count. James says, now nobody can speak with that error. He says, yes, we're teachers. And I'm sure somebody had just pointed out to him some error he had made in an argument in a recent speech. He says, yes, no, teachers are never going to be completely without error because none of us are perfect and none of us can ever tame the tongue because it's never been done. But you know what? We can try. We can be mindful of what we say. We can stop and take stock of what we say. We can pay attention to what is coming out of our mouths and maybe the impact that it's having on our own lives and on the lives 
of people around us. We know that when we talk about negative things all the time and complain all the time, it eats at us and we become less and less happy. And so do others. And we know that when we are filled with praise and gratitude, we have the opposite result. If we could tame our tongues, James says, if we could speak less and listen more, we would have so much less to regret. It's hard, maybe impossible, but we could try. We can aspire to it the way we used to aspire to being like Andy Griffith and leave it to Beaver. I have always admired those people who were really good at expressing appreciation, who were really good at, at lifting up kind words, people who were always raising people up. Those who tend to do this receive tenfold back again in kindness and attention what they have given out. Clarence Roeder was for me one of those people. Many of you are. I want you to know, I wish I could just name you all. I would. Um, and Clarence wasn't perfect, but I think he tried really hard to tame the tongue. He never stopped bragging on how lucky he was to have his wife, Carmen. He told her that endlessly all day long, every day, and publicly in front of us, he would lift her up. Never, ever stop thanking her for all that she did for him, telling her, her how, how amazed he was that she would have picked him to spend her life with. Never stop acknowledging all the little hardships and sacrifices she endured because she loved and cared for him. And if you were fortunate enough to know him, I would bet you have received some of those words directed your way as well. But he's just one. We could all name a long list of people who have touched us, who have empowered us with their thoughtful words, with blessings and appreciations and kindnesses. Their words are balm for worn, weary, torn souls. They bring healing and grace. They ease the way. We would say that they are heaven sent. I have tried to figure out their secret. I would like to be with them, like them. I cannot say that I am. I am much too self-centered and selfish. But in observing them, it would seem to me that what they are doing is putting their focus more often than not, not on themselves, but on the needs of other people. They are not looking inward, they're looking outward. Instead of feeling sorry for themselves, in spite of their own hardships and pains, they're looking at our hardships and reaching out to bless and comfort us in spite of their own disappointments. And they have them. They are not sitting around making a list of the ways people have failed them. Instead, they are looking for every blessing received and they are celebrating it. And they are cheering on and lifting up every kindness and shouting it out to the world. And you know what? We can't wait to be around them. I'm not like that. But I'd like to be like that. And just wanting to be like that is a start. James says we won't tame the tongue, but we can try. We can bless more than curse. 
A few years ago in Washington, D.C., there was a man named Tom Greaves who set up, believe it or not, something called a compliment machine. Literally, a machine. It sat there at the curb at 14th Street Northwest as part of an art exhibit that he was participating in. It was a big, I want you to picture it, big red and white striped box that sat on a platform of bricks with a speaker in the front and little ventilation slits on the sides. And every few minutes, a reassuring male voice would give a compliment to whoever might be passing by. There were a hundred compliments played randomly every six or seven minutes. And every day, Greaves tweaks the recordings. He changes them up every night, adds some, removes others so they stay fresh. Ding. You help create a brighter future. Someone walks by. Ding. People are drawn to your positive energy. Ding. You're a star in the face of the sky. The machine calls out to a 50-year-old Tom mentor who walks past the corner regularly. Ding. You are always there when needed. And Mentor says, you know, it really makes you feel good. <laughs> he, he's a playwright. He says, if I'm having a really bad moment and I'm walking down the street, he said, I hear that and it penetrates the fog and it's a good thing. And the machine calls to this heavily muscled man in a really snug black t-shirt. Ding, your eyes are beautiful. He frowns, pauses, heads on his way, but he's heard it. The compliment machine has kind words for even the blackest of hearts, it seems, but maybe we'll be inspired to live into those words, to make them true. People certainly change their route so they can walk past the machine a little more often. If the machine says, you leave things better than you find them, then maybe, just maybe, we'll want to do that. You know, the tongue is so small, but so powerful. If some machine sitting on blocks in an art exhibit can have an effect on total strangers with random compliments, think how much more powerful your compliment is to the person that you know and who knows you know them and for whom the words are sincere. James says, with that tiny little old rudder, you can steer a huge ship. And he's picturing a big schooner, right? And you can take a little old bridle and stick it in the mouth of a great big horse and steer that horse wherever you want to go. The same it is with the tongue. What if we were all compliment machines? What if we spent just a few more minutes each day shouting out praises and gratitude and blessings? Imagine what would happen if we filled the world with that kind of grace. You know, with a little more praise and thanksgiving, we just might make this world a happier, kinder, better place. Amen.